KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. Governor Gavin Newsom is nominating the first openly gay black man to the state Supreme Court. He made the announcement on Monday. He's choosing Judge Marvin Jenkins to replace retiring state Supreme Court Justice Ming W. Chin. Jenkins is only the third black man to serve on the bench, and it has been 29 years since the last. He is also the first openly gay black man to be a California Supreme Court Justice. Judge Jenkins says he understands that being any kind of first brings with it unique responsibilities. I want to say to some young person who may be out there today who is struggling with their identity, anyone who knows me knows my identity has been as a gay man perhaps the greatest challenge of my life and it has not been easy. But I want to say today to those young people who may be watching and those who may hear about what has transpired here, that I am not here in spite of the struggle. I'm here because of the struggle. Judge Jenkins is a native Californian whose mother was a nurse and whose father was a janitor at San Francisco's Coit Tower for 36 years. A former NFL player, he turned to law and served on the state appeals court before becoming the Newsom administration's judicial appointment secretary last year. His nomination must be confirmed by a three-person commission on judicial appointments. A new free COVID-19 testing site is open at the South Chula Vista Library. The new testing facility is part of an effort to expand testing options in South County, where the COVID caseload remains stubbornly high. Nick Machione is San Diego County's Director of Health and Human Services. He says Latinos in the region have been testing positive for COVID-19 at alarming rates. Uh, Latinos make up about 34% of our county yet 66% they're about of our cases, positive cases of Latinos. The drive-up site will be open Sunday through Thursday from 12.30 p.m. to 8 p.m. The KPBS Voter Guide is now live. The guide is your online resource for state races, local campaigns, and ballot measures. The updated guide is full of well-researched, non-biased information. We have a new feature this year with the guide's election center. You can check out election news, see if you're registered, and if your registration is correct. You can also see the answers candidates gave to our questionnaires. Our web team says almost all of the candidates responded. You can find the voter guide at kpbs.org slash election. It's Tuesday, October 6th. This is San Diego News Matters from KPBS News, a daily morning news podcast powered by everyone in the KPBS newsroom. I'm Annika Colbert. Stay with me for more of the local news you need to start your day.
KPBS On Demand is supported by Arizona Raft Adventures, a third-generation family-owned outfitter providing experiential multi-day Colorado River rafting adventures through the Grand Canyon, hiking, exploration, education, and fun. Only a seven-hour drive from San Diego. Learn more at azraft.com. California landlords can now begin filing evictions in housing courts for the first time since the pandemic started. Tenants protested outside the court in downtown San Diego on Monday. They say a new state law meant to protect them doesn't go far enough. KPBS's Max Rivlin-Nadler reports. AB 3088, passed right at the end of the legislative session last month, gave tenants until February to pay a portion of their rent. But it doesn't stop evictions unrelated to the COVID-19 pandemic. Patricia Mendoza, a tenant in the South Bay, says this gives landlords, like her own, the loopholes needed to move forward with evictions. The lady wants to remodel the roof right now during this pandemic, so she wants to kick everybody out. The group of tenants drove downtown from Balboa Park as part of a car caravan, circling the downtown courthouse just as its doors opened. They called for more support for renters from the state, including the cancellation of rent for tenants who have had no way to pay it for the last several months. Max Rivlin-Nadler, KPBS News. At more than a million acres, the August complex fire burning near Mendocino is the largest fire in modern California history. It's been burning for a month and a half, and as of this morning, it's still only 54 percent contained. Cap Radio's Ezra David Romero reports on how the fire got so big. Everyday Kale Casey gets in his truck and drives the perimeter of the north end of the August complex fire. He was hired from Alaska to help suppress the blaze. All across the West this year, the goal was to keep the fires as small as possible because of COVID. Smoke impacts folks who are susceptible to COVID symptoms. But no matter how hard crews worked to put the fire out, dry, hot, and windy conditions kept the blaze going. It started as 37 different lightning-sparked fires in mid-August. Punky Moore is a spokesperson with the Mendocino National Forest. As those fires grew together, Two or three different times, they doubled in size. The weather wasn't helping. The million acres burned is an important moment in California history. But UCLA climate scientist Daniel Swain says it's more significant to evaluate how destructive fire season is as a whole. 30-something people have died this year in California. That's quite a high wildfire death toll compared to almost any other year historically. UC System Forestry Advisor Michael Jones says the August complex is an example of how people in Mendocino are facing the consequences of historical fire suppression and a warming climate year after year. People are worn out and they're scared and don't understand this fundamental shift. But Jones says Northern Californians may need to accept smoky skies as a year-long reality because of prescribed burns and what is becoming a prolonged fire season. In Sacramento, I'm Ezra David Romero. The November election will undoubtedly bring big changes to the region's leadership, and nowhere more so than County District 2 that will see changes after almost three decades. KPBS's Maya Trabolsi updates us on the race for the East County seat on the San Diego County Board of Supervisors. Former State Senator Joel Anderson led in the primaries with almost 7,500 more votes than Poway Mayor Steve Voss. They're both Republicans running in a historically red district. What sets them apart, they say, is their performance record as public servants. 
Voss points to his countywide bipartisan endorsements, including from outgoing Supervisor Diane Jacob. I think the distinctions between myself and my opponent could be summed up with three things, track record, temperament, and trust. As far as track record, I'm the only candidate with executive experience in running a jurisdiction, and I, I think I've been pretty successful. His priorities include public safety, infrastructure, and expanding open space. Anderson touts his experience in the minority party in Sacramento. In the time I had in the legislature, I did over 450 bills across party lines. I either joined or co-authored with my Democrat colleagues. Anderson is endorsed by the San Diego County Republican Party. His priorities include road improvements, housing attainability, and career opportunities in the county. Maya Trabulsi, KPBS News. In the 53rd congressional seat, two Democrats are facing off next month. Sarah Jacobs is a childhood anti-poverty advocate who is the granddaughter of Qualcomm co-founder Erwin Jacobs. And we need to disclose that he is a major supporter of KPBS. Jacobs' opponent is the current city of San Diego Council President Georgette Gomez. KPBS's Matt Hoffman has this introduction. A lot has changed for both candidates since campaigning in the March primary when the nation was not facing pandemic restrictions. Sarah Jacobs says it's not so easy without a lot of face-to-face contact. We are phone banking, uh, getting creative, doing Zoom events, and just trying to find ways to connect with people virtually. Georgette Gomez says her campaign has also been leveraging technology to reach voters. Texting, uh, communicating with voters through social media. Um, and utilizing the power of social media, really. The two Democrats are vying to replace another Democrat, Representative Susan Davis, who is retiring from her 53rd seat after 20 years. I consider myself a, a practical progressive, and I know that the only way we're ever able to get anything done, but especially in Washington, is by building coalitions. Jacobs was a State Department employee during the Obama administration. A lot of voters uh, really value the fact that I have experience working in the federal government working on federal policy issues that I have experience on both the domestic and international issues that will be coming in front of Congress. Gomez says voters need someone who understands them at a personal level and says because she grew up poor, she can relate to people going through tough times. I've lived, personally lived housing insecurity at one time in my life, uh, growing up pretty uh, humbly with very little resources, having parents that had multiple jobs, but they still, at the end of the day, we were living paycheck by paycheck. Gomez considers herself a progressive, but says her time on city council proves that she can work with Republicans, like San Diego Mayor Kevin Faulkner. We introduced a eviction moratorium protecting renters in our businesses. Along with the mayor, we created a business relief program. Both candidates say COVID-19 relief for businesses and individuals will likely be a major priority for the next Congress. They say the CARES Act, which brought stimulus checks and money for struggling businesses, was a good start. It's clear we need a lot more, and I have been really disappointed that Congress hasn't passed another assistance package. I truly am hoping that they move forward, that they can put their... The, the the division to the side because this is not the time to be playing politics. This is the time where we need to lead. It's no secret there's a lack of affordable housing in San Diego, and our county has one of the highest homeless populations in the nation. To address the housing crisis, Jacob wants to provide emergency assistance in the form of housing vouchers and rental aid, increase our federal homeless dollars, and add a rental tax credit. So that any family who pays more than 30% of their income on rent gets assistance through the tax code then we need to build more affordable housing. Decisions about how and 
and where to build that affordable housing are largely in the hands of local governments, some of which have been resistant to new units. But what we can do at the federal level is leverage public dollars to incentivize and push for more private investment. Whether it's building low-income units or housing for people who are homeless, Gomez says it starts with hearing from the community. Make sure that you're out there talking to your constituents and saying this is why it's important that we make our backyard available. In order, I mean, people want us to resolve the, uh, the issue related to people living in the streets, but the only way we're going to uh, resolve it is not through rock and science. It's we need to build units. We need to ensure that we have the necessary resources, and that's where Congress needs to come in. Addressing climate change is also something on both candidates' agendas. Gomez says she supports Governor Gavin Newsom's recent executive order for all new cars in California to be zero emissions by 2035. That's something that we should be, as a congressional members, we should be thinking about adopting as well. It should be a national model. Jacob says Newsom's mandate has to be doable, and she wants to see an entirely energy clean economy by 2030. We need huge investments in new green technology. A poll from last month shows Jacobs with a double-digit lead over Gomez, but in that same poll, nearly 40% of voters who responded were still undecided. Matt Hoffman, KPBS News. That was KPBS's Matt Hoffman. Coming up on the podcast, a San Diego filmmaker gets a world premiere at Screamfest LA. We have that story from KPBS film critic and cinema junkie host Beth Accomando. That's up next after this break. KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. And now for some inside KPBS news. KPBS General Manager Tom Carlo is retiring at the end of this year. KPBS reporter Eric Anderson has details. Carlo began working at KPBS 47 years ago as a student assistant, and his career at the station will finish at the end of the year. He rose through the ranks and became general manager a dozen years ago. He was only the fifth general manager in the news outlet's 60-year history. KPBS News reporting was found primarily on radio when Carlo became GM. He says KPBS needed to adapt. There was a growing population that was beginning to use digital technology to consume content. And I wanted our news to be where people were um, consuming their media. The news is now found on more than 30 different platforms, including radio, television, and a host of digital streams. KPBS Associate General Manager Nancy Worley will take the top position on an interim basis. She'll be the first woman to be the station's general manager. I'm thrilled and I'm honored Uh, to be the first woman and to represent the women at our organization out in the community um, and and, uh, help take KPBS uh, into the next uh, couple years. Worley takes over on January 1st. She says the station plans to continue to burnish its commitment to journalism as the organization moves forward. Eric Anderson, KPBS News.
Tonight, Screamfest LA kicks off a season of horror film festivals for October. This year, local San Diego filmmaker Pia Thrasher will have her vampire comedy, Things We Dig, receive its world premiere at a Screamfest drive-in event on October 13th. KPBS arts reporter Beth Accomando talks with the filmmaker about her work. Pia, you and I share a love for horror and for Halloween. This Halloween, though, you do have something to be excited about, which is the fact that you have made a film, Things We Dig, that has been accepted to a number of festivals. So tell me where you're going to be having your world premiere. Finally, we finally do have one festival that does kind of a a in-person event which well it's a drive-in theater and uh, it's going to be in um, LA north of LA in Venice for the Scream Fest LA Film Festival and it'll be making its world premiere and we're super excited I'm going to bring some cast and crew with me it'll be a chance to see the film with a bunch of other horror fanatics I'm really excited about it we're going to have our we, we actually have a real premiere with a bunch of other really cool horror flicks. So that's, yeah, finally, I'm glad we have that. Then, then there's gonna be a few other, um, uh, there's gonna be the Horror House Festival, which is later in October. And we'll have also the um, Northern Frights, which is in Canada, and it'll be, uh, shown there. Things We Dig is a mockumentary and I have to say it's probably influenced a little bit by what we do in the shadows. Oh, big time. (laughs) Deals with vampires. So tell people a little bit about the story. When I first saw what we do in the shadows, I just loved it. I loved the whole format, the whole idea about just a bunch of ordinary, ordinary vampires living together and having to deal with regular life stuff. And it made me think, God, what would it be like for four female vampires with all their female issues or whatever you want to call it living together and um and dealing with the now modern times because they have different ages you know so when i saw that movie what we do in the shadows i just had a few ideas and i started writing and i'm like okay i'm not gonna make another film no but then i kept writing and finding more stuff and making myself kind of giggle and i'm like oh my god i need to do this so so i wrote a script back in 2016 for uh what what would have been probably more like a 40 minute movie and uh and then you know over four years because we had all these problems with locations and everything and and uh then uh, uh, i got sick and oh all that stuff so finally we filmed it and um, and then of course the TV show What We Do in the Shadows came out and I was scared to watch it. I was like, oh my God, what if there's stuff in there that's in my short film? And But it wasn't, so it's all good, it's all good. So um, that's how it happened and we're here now. All right, I'm gonna play a little clip from the film just so people can get a, a feel for the flavor of it. Uh, so um, yeah, do you uh, have a favorite blood type? Favorite blood type, no. But we have favorite victims. Mm-hmm. I like the ones that are out on the beach all day mm. in the sun. Yummy. Yum. <laughs> Drunk people are good. Ooh, nice mm. buzz on those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Drunk surfer dudes are the best. Do you surf? Fangs off, girls. He's mine. For full disclosure, I have to say that I contributed some coffins to your film. And I want you to talk a little bit about it because I gave you some very plain, bland pinewood coffins and you have an amazing art director, production designer who dressed those up quite a bit. 
so yeah, when uh, when I was trying to get all my props together, and I need, I knew I needed a, a coffin, and I needed a child size coffin. I'm like, where am I gonna get a child size coffin? And so I, of course I asked on Facebook, and of course the first thing like Beth, Beth, <laughs> hello. Duh. So I asked, you know, and you were like, you saved my day, and you, I came over to your place, and you had this plywood um child size coffin it was perfect but it was very plain so we knew we we're gonna have to dress it up a little bit so you gave me that and you gave me this really thick sheet um of of um this cardboard it's like probably an inch thick or so and says you know see what you can do with that make a lid out of that and so i brought it all to my production designer elsa mickelson who is if you're in the san diego film industry here anywhere you would know her because she's amazing. She's done so much stuff. Uh, she built the entire vampire coven, like the whole, their whole place in their house. So she basically took this, this coffin and created this amazing uh, elaborate coffin with a lid that has so, so many um, ornaments and, and then she made it golden and then she aged it and, I don't even know how she did it, but she did layers of that cardboard sheet and somehow put it all together. And it's amazing. I still, I can't get over it. It doesn't, it does not look like it's made out of cardboard. It looks like it's made out of some kind of an old metal, you know, uh, and it's all shiny and golden and it's, it's incredible. I couldn't believe it. She's amazing. Elsa Mickelson, production designer extraordinaire, all I can say. It wouldn't look the same without her. What are some of the challenges of making a comedy like this where you are using a film crew within a film crew and trying to make it all feel spontaneous and what are some of the challenges of doing that and pulling it off? That was hard because first of all you have to find a balance of, of kind of creepy and humor and it turned out to be a little bit more funny than creepy. I didn't want to do like just a found footage style. So we're actually breaking a bunch of laws here. We're, we're having found footage a little bit from the crew's point of view, but also a narrative camera that is just there to kind of capture everything. So we also like wanted to leave it open for some improv here and there. Yeah, it, it, it was definitely not what I first imagined because at first I wanted to have it kind of like what we do in the shadows, just constantly talking the cameras on like but this we didn't have that time <laughs> we had three days to film the whole thing <laughs> and can you remember what got you interested in horror there wasn't really a specific moment i think i didn't realize that gravitated towards the dark side until somebody pointed out to me that i'm like wednesday adams that i grew up like her and i'm like what do you mean and he said that well, your dad made tombstones for a living and he had tombstones all over the front yard and the backyard and, and all these grave, you know, things that you put on a grave, like the lights and the little water, uh, holy water containers. And, and this was in Germany. So, and I was like, yeah, you're right. I, I think to me it was always normal to deal with the dark side, the death, the unspoken. And we always had, you know, people come to my dad's house to talk about the funeral and the planning. And so I grew up with it and to me it was normal. And I never liked romantic comedies cause I thought they were just, they made me gag. It was just so cheesy, I couldn't take it. So I would go anything but that. And of course the natural reaction is the opposite. So, which was usually 
the darker side. It made me think more. It made me get into it. It made me focus on my own dark side because we all have one. Some suppress it more than others, <laughs> which is not good for you. You have to let it out. That was Beth Accomando speaking with filmmaker Pia Thrasher. Her film, Things We Dig, has its world premiere at Screamfest LA on October 13th. You can look for Beth's fleeting appearance in the film as a creepy clown. That's it for the podcast today. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day. KPBS On Demand is supported by Arizona Raft Adventures, a third-generation family-owned outfitter providing experiential multi-day Colorado River rafting adventures through the Grand Canyon, hiking, exploration, education, and fun. Only a seven-hour drive from San Diego. Learn more at azraft.com.